Welcome to the Field Goals Podcast. I'm Brandon Schultz, and we are about two weeks into free agency so far. Seattle has been focused nationally in many ways because we're waiting to see where Jadevian Clowney will end up. Will he be back in Seattle? Will he go somewhere else? And I know people like today's guest, John P. Gilbert, is waiting to see what will happen because that move will have a bigger impact than any other player will make on the Seahawks, particularly with their salary cap this offseason. John, last time you were on, we talked salary cap. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it again. So what are your takeaways now that the Seahawks are, are about two weeks into this? What's kind of been your general takeaway from the Seahawks so far? I mean, they've been doing the same thing this offseason that they, they seem to do every year. I mean, they have positions it seems like they want to address. They go out, they work those positions, and they look for value uh, You know, in specific roles, whether that's depth on the offensive line, potential starters on the offensive line, um, you know, cast-offs who are low-risk, high-upside that maybe they were formerly a high pick or they performed well at some point in the past. And it's simply a repeat of basically the the roadmap. They're following the map that they've followed for the last six, seven years in, in building the roster. And, you know, it's a lot of fans are going to complain about it. But when they come out in September and they have a competitive team and they're going to be, you know, in the discussion for the playoffs, especially with expanded playoffs, I think it'd be really hard to miss the playoffs with an extra team making it with Wilson at quarterback. Um, you know, it's it, hopefully those fans will be happy then. I felt like last time when we were talking about the salary cap just a couple weeks ago, I, I expected them to have all this room and space to make a lot of moves. And really their biggest move so far has been giving 10, 11 million dollars to Jaron Reed and everything else has been kind of on the margins. I guess the next biggest deal would be Brandon Shell potentially. We know, I know we still don't know the, the numbers for Bruce Irvin yet, but does it seem like the salary cap has gone away more quickly than you expected? Uh, no, I, this is kind of how I expected it. You know, I know a lot of fans, ex, you know, anticipated the release that you know, Justin Britt would be a cap casualty or even KJ Wright or Ed Dixon. And I think, you know, I think there's absolutely the possibility we do probably see Ed Dixon released, you know, here in the next six weeks or so. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, Justin Britt is still re rehabbing that ACL. KJ Wright is a team leader. Um, I never really anticipated the the massive, you know, them having the massive amount of cash that they would have in free agency, especially once they went out and signed Greg Olson. I mean, they were looking at probably 40, 42 million in available cap, signed Greg Olson for seven, most of that guaranteed. And then all of a sudden you're in the mid thirties and it's not, you know, 35 million doesn't go as far as it used to. You know, when the salary cap went into place back in the 90s, it was 34 and a half million. So 35 million is it's just not nearly as much as it used to be. I mean, that's Russell Wilson. Um, obviously, we've got him, but it's I'm not surprised in how things have played out. I was kind of surprised that they gave Reed as much money as they did. I would have loved to have seen them keep uh, Jefferson instead of letting him go to Buffalo. But this is basically what a lot of what I expected to happen has happened. Obviously, not exactly like I expected, but, um, you know, I think it's it's the roadmap they've set out. It's the roadmap they followed in the past, and it's what they're doing again. So. What guy would you have rather had at their particular number? Jaron Reed at what he signed for or Jefferson for what he went to Buffalo for? Oh, Jefferson by far. I think. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, 
not to say that Jefferson is the better player, mm-hmm. but I think for you know thirteen and a half million for two years versus twenty three million for two years is just Jefferson. You know whatever you whatever you're potentially gaining there from Reed, uh, I don't think it's worth the you know the extra ten million dollars at the margin. <laughs> Well, one place that they really have seemed to attack is the offensive line. Now, I know one of the things going into free agency, I think we expected the Seahawks to focus on the defensive line. And yes, they've made the Jaron Reed signing. They they signed Bruce Irvin and brought him back. And we're still waiting for them to make more moves, particularly with Clowney. Uh, when you when you look at the numbers and and not knowing what the specifics are, how many more moves do you expect them to make on the defensive line if they say they re-sign Clowney? Are they going to be done there or are they going to potentially have a little bit more to bring in another veteran? It, obviously, it all depends. Um, they, if they, And it depends on what Clowney's deal looks like. They have the room to do what they need to do. Um, you know, they, they're getting tight on true cap space that they have available you know if you go on over the cap.com right now it'll tell you that they have 14 million dollars they need about four million dollars for you know the injured reserve pool they need a couple million dollars for the practice squad and they'll need a couple million dollars for the draft picks so that really only leaves them you know right in that six million dollars in available space range so i'm not looking for too much going forward but i'm guessing you know once we do see that the Dixon release. I'm guessing we'll get some movement with some of the the restricted free agents that they've got. The four tenders who you know combine for ten or eleven million dollars, whatever it is. Um, you know, we'll see some of that come off. Potentially a restructure with Brit, possibly something with Bright, though I don't you know really anticipate that. And they've got the room to maneuver if they really want to do something. So it's you know if. If they have the opportunity to get Everson Griffin and a Jadavian Clowney there on the defensive line, and it's something that's affordable, but and you know doesn't kill the cap in the future, then I could absolutely see them doing something like that. I don't think that's what happens. I think they'll go much more like they did last year, where through the off season it was, you know, lower risk, high reward potential. Maybe not $9 million to Ziggy Ansah again, mm-hmm. but, you know, guys along those lines, you know, someone like a Bruce Irvin who's in their 30s, who can rush the passer or who can play the, you know, the run like they did with Al Woods last year, like they've done in the past. Uh, that is, would not be at all a surprise to me to see multiple defensive linemen like that added. What's your take been on the Bruce Irvin deal? I like it. Um, if he's just being asked to come in and, um, be a pure pass rusher in passing downs, that's a fantastic role for him. You know, he was always a beast. I mean, his rookie year in 2012, that Monday night game where he and Chris Clemens just ate um, Aaron Rodgers for lunch. I mean, that was just pure speed and power at that point. Now he's refined, refined his game. I mean, we saw Alistair gave us a look at it on field goals last week. Um, It's just, I love it. I mean, we haven't seen the terms yet. I'm not expecting it to be too expensive of a deal. And as long as it's not crazy expensive, I think it's going to be a fantastic, you know, it'll be a fantastic deal. He seems very, very excited to be back. And, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do on the field this fall. It definitely seems like one of those deals. Like if it, if it breaks into a certain number where you're starting to go, really, did we, did we need to give him that much? What, what is that number for you? Um, 
you know, I mean, he made $4 million last year and I, okay. $4 million is fine. If he's up in the seven, $8 million range without it being incentive based, then that's where I'm kind of like, whoa, I didn't, did we really just, you know, did we allocate that much money to somebody who, who is a situational pass rusher? I did, you know, I hate to see that happen again, but if it's a deal where it's, two or three million dollars in base and roster bonuses and then incentives on top of that that gets him up to potentially that much with those incentives being hit i'm 100 fine with that as you know if, if you perform please you earned your money yeah that feels a whole lot better so with some of the moves that they've made so far on the offensive line uh bringing in some guys on defense are there any cap casualties that you might even be anticipating apart from kind of the normal one, especially Ed Dixon being the one, Tedrick Thompson being one that I know he was given the opportunity to seek a trade. That's probably not going to happen. So I would expect <laughs> him to get cut. Are there any other guys that you expect to see go now based off of some of the moves that have happened so far? I mean, there, there are relatively few players in the roster who are, you know, who would represent a significant cap savings. There's, you know, there's a couple million here, a couple million there. Dixon, like you mentioned, um, the the restricted free agents, though, you know, Hunt could potentially be in that same boat. I mean, they brought in Finney, whether he's to be a backup on the interior line, a backup center, potentially start at center. So how We'll have to see how the competition plays out there at center uh, because realistically, you've got between Britt, Finney, Hunt, and Posick. You know, Posick has the smallest cap hit of any of those guys, but even he's making, you know, you save over a million dollars in cap space if you move on from him. Hunt is saves 2.1 million in cap space, and Britt, of course, as we all know, depending on whether he's passed the physical or not, is somewhere in the seven, you know, seven and a quarter million to up to eight and a half million. So, um, you know, there's a ton of money that could potentially be saved just at the center position alone. And it's just going to be extremely interesting to see how things play out through training camp and into the regular season. Posick kind of feels like a cut to me based off of the Finney move and especially if they do decide to keep Justin Britt. No, I absolutely I don't think they'll necessarily uh, cut him out. I mean, if, if he's still with the team in camp, I anticipate he's the type of player, a former second round pick mm -hmm. doesn't really fit Solari's system. He's far better suited for a zone team. Um, you know, that, that is exclusively zone. He doesn't have the, the size or the girth and the, the core power that, that Solari is looking for. He's not that massive people mover like Fluker or Upati to play at one of the guard spots. And they've got, I mean, it's a log jam at center between Posick and Hunt and Britt and Finney now. So I, I really would not be surprised at all if we see him, you know, traded in the lead up to the draft or during the draft for, you know, a, a seventh round pick or a conditional seventh round pick or a sixth round pick or something like that, just to get some kind of return for a player who does have that draft pedigree, which, you know, I mean, carries a whole lot of weight with it as we've seen with the team adding, you know, the 17th or whatever it is, 2013 first round pick to the roster. So I think you're right there. That, that's probably a good point that of the guys on the roster, that he does still warrant some draft capital in a potential trade. Well, let's talk about some of the other offensive linemen, John. We'll get to George Fant. We'll get to Jermaine Effetti. Let's talk about some of those moves coming up after the break. I am joined by John P. Gilbert of fieldgoals.com. 
And we're talking about some of the free agent moves for the Seahawks so far. Talking offensive line, and one of the things that Seahawks fans were treated to this week, Jermaine Effetti. He is finally leaving town, and it took him a little while to find a landing spot, but he is going to the Chicago Bears. What did you think about this move? Uh, I was I was somewhat surprised that he took just a one-year deal. I, I figured he would land a bigger deal, you know, having the draft pedigree and having been a four-year starter. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that he landed with the Bears was not that big of a surprise. I had discussed a little bit with Alistair um, just the Fed's personality. I'd heard that he had kind of... They had kind of a conflict, not necessarily disliked each other, but they butted heads just because he and Solari kind of were oil and water type personalities. Mm. And so that he may have been looking for um, an offensive line coach who was of a different personality type. And that's what he's got in Juan Castillo there in uh, Chicago. And so, you know, if there's an environment in which he can succeed, that may be it. Well, and one of the surprising things, too, not just that it was for a one year deal. It sounds like he might be going there to play guard. You know, it's funny. I have been asked by Bears fans, you know, how was he at Gardens? Well, he was a rookie and he was really, really bad. bad. <laughs> so it's, um, you know, he is, it, it'll be interesting to see. I haven't gone back and watched his, you know, he played the the one game in 2018 at guard uh, when mm-hmm. Fluker was out with injury and fans started at right tackle. Uh, I believe that was against the Chiefs. Um, but, you know, it's, it's definitely moving him to guard eliminates some of his, limitations um but it's he should be able to see the football a lot better and maybe not false start so much (laughs) who knows (laughs) you know that's i think that's more of just who i think he gets he gets in his own head um and he you know is focused more on the past than on what he needs to do on the next play and it's you know one of those situations where it just kind of snowballs so Maybe, you know, maybe a fresh start, new scenery, new coach, new people around him. You know, hopefully that'll for him. Hopefully it'll work out for the better. What do you think the situation was with Afedi? Because it was kind of surprising seeing George Fant get a deal just right in that first wave of free agency. And I just I have to wonder, like you brought up with the pedigree, if Afedi was maybe overvaluing himself a little bit and he was thinking that he was going to get you know, in that 12, 13, 14 million dollar range is playing tackle. And then you see guys like Vitae, you see guys like Fant get the 10 million dollar a year deals. I have to wonder if that 10 million dollar a year deal was there for Fetty and he just passed on it thinking that he was being undervalued by those those kind of numbers. No, I I could easily see that, you know, whether it was 10 million, whether it was, you know, 9 million, whatever, you know, something on a multi-year deal. Um, But I think in in general, just throughout in the the entirety of free agency, the entire right tackle market kind of came up short of where a lot of expectations were, you know. Conklin signed for far less at 14 million a year than a lot of people, including myself. I expected him to be at at least 16, 17 million, if not higher. That led to Bulaga coming in at 10 million a year, which was far lower than a lot of people had anticipated, again, including myself. Um, And I think, you know, if you've got guys like that, guys who have a resume that's a whole lot cleaner, um, even though they are older than Efedi, that kind of sets the market. And it's like, okay, you know, are we really going to pay 10 million a year or 12 million a year or 13 million a year for a Fetty if we just missed out on Conklin and Bulaga at 14 and 10? I mean, that's uh, so I could easily see, you know, maybe he goes to Chicago, maybe he has a great year, starts at guard, starts at tackle, whatever. 
and winds up on a multi-year deal next year when the cap is bigger. But yeah, I, I think it was, I was a little bit surprised. You know, I, we haven't seen the numbers, but definitely the fact that he only took a one-year deal. Um, and the, just the way the whole right tackle market played out was just kind of shocking to me. Well, left tackle seemed to be a pretty good market for George Fant to be in because he got three years, $30 million. Was that more surprising or, or less surprising than what you saw with Fetty? That that was pretty much in line with what I had expected. Yeah. Um, his deal, I know, you know, it says the headline was three years, 13 million guaranteed, 30 million total. Um, but it's it's really a deal where he got, you know, he's got nine million guaranteed. And if the Jets are not happy with his performance this season, they walk away next year and they've got a two million dollar dead cap hit. Um, mm. He's got an additional four million in injury guarantees, but those are just the standard two million dollar a year injury guarantees that come with the new CBA. Mm. They're not they don't, I don't believe they're actual injury guarantees written into his contract. So it's. It's a literally it's a one year deal. That's a lottery ticket that if it works out, the Jets can keep him for the next two years at basically what's a bargain salary for a left tackle. I've kind of been asking everybody this that's come on the show, because through these two weeks, we've seen some pretty good bargain type deals. We've seen some trades that you feel like could have been positions of need for the Seahawks. Is there a, is there a move that you most wish that the Seahawks were a part of? Uh, absolutely. I mean, watching Roby Coleman, the announcement come across that he signed for a million three. Um, yeah. uh, I mean, I had, I had to go, I had to go change my pants. I mean, I, <laughs> he is a very good nickel cornerback and I mean, we all watched Jamar Taylor play so well that he got himself cut last year and the team spent 60% or 70% of its snaps in base defense. I mean, it's, you know, that's it. He plays a position of need for the Hawks. Maybe he didn't fit what they were looking for. You know, I'm not the defensive specialist like Maddie used to be for us. Um, I don't know exactly what they're looking for, you know, at the, at the nickel corner position, but it's just, I mean, he was very good at it and he, signed for very very little at a position where maybe they feel they're set going forward with Amadi but they certainly didn't feel like they were set with Amadi in 2019 at the nickel so no and for a deal that is under a million and a half I mean that's that's not that hard to I mean even if you still intend on making moves on the defensive line and moves in other areas that doesn't seem like all that big of a burden to your salary cap not at all. I mean, that's where you're calling Tedrick and being like, yo, Tedrick, uh, you know, yeah. you call off the trade. We're going to let you go. That's good. We need that two million. But yeah, it's a it's a deal that, you know, I saw that one and I had to yeah, link a couple times and check to make sure I wasn't miss, you know, looking at it wrong. Yeah. Justin Coleman to get, you know, a pretty high market deal at slot corner and Nicole Roby Coleman is he's I look at him as one of those slot guys that are kind of in a similar type mold. Now, maybe he doesn't get Justin Coleman money, but gosh, you think four, five, six, I mean, he should at least, and Coleman's year was uh, a couple of years ago now. Yeah, no, I mean, and that's, that's what Coleman, the Rams released him off of a, a deal that he had signed that was, you know, it was smaller, obviously, than the deal Coleman got from Detroit, but it was, it was a, the same kind of deal. I forget if it was 315 or 321 that they had signed him for. Um, and, that's what a good nickel cornerback, a good slot corner costs. And he's a good slot corner, or at least he was. I mean, maybe I didn't watch the Rams enough to see how bad he was this season or something, but I don't know. I mean, they needed to make some room just based off of all their uh, terrible moves that they've been making here with uh, their salary cap. But 
One other move that you covered at fieldgoals.com, Philip Dorsett, now a member of the Seahawks, and we don't know the numbers quite yet on his deal, but the Seahawks needing a potential third, fourth wide receiver option with Jerron Brown on the move and kind of feeling like they, that Russell Wilson needed some other targets. Uh, they did bring in Greg Olson, but now he has another target at wide receiver. What did you think of this move? I like it, especially it's again getting back to the Bruce Irvin thing. If they ha- got him on, a, you know, a, an inexpensive base contract that gives him upside and the ability to perform and the ability to make money if he produces, it's a fantastic deal. I mean, he's we know he's a burner, we know he's got speed, we know what Russell Wilson can do with the deep ball, but we also, I mean, it gives him flexibility now. They've got he can play inside, he can play outside. He's played in the slot, not a ton, but he's played about a quarter of his snaps in the lot mm-hmm. in New England the last few years you know in Indy back in 2016 he was with the Colts when Brian Schottenheimer was there in Schottenheimer's first year as a quarterback's coach so Schottenheimer and Dorsett should be somewhat familiar with each other they sh- you know Schottenheimer should know what his specifically what his talents are what he can do best what he can't do and you know they'll be able to work with that and it just it gives them the system that they need. What I like about it is it gives them the system to challenge teams deep on both sides of the field with Dorsett, Lockett, and Metcalf, as well as have someone on the interior who that way they can it forces defenses to respect that. Defenses will sit back with two high safeties and that will open things up for the run game underneath. Well, John, before you go, there was some NFL news that came across on Thursday as well. The commissioner putting out that the NFL draft is moving ahead as scheduled from April 23rd through the 25th. Uh, The unfortunate part, I feel like, is for the players that are taken in the first round. They aren't going to get their time on stage. You know, that's always a a big part of of going and doing the handshake with Roger Goodell. Obviously, that uh, is something that it's not going to happen this year. They're talking about not being able to bring families in for the event. They're going to make it look a little bit uh, a little bit different. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I'm having a hard time coming up with a date that you would say that you would try and push it back to that you that would still allow it to go on as usual. So did they make the right move? Just keeping it put where it is? Uh, I, I would think so. You know, and it's kind of that uncertainty, like you mentioned. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows if the country's still going to be shut down in May and June and July. And let's say they do push it back. Let's say they push it back into mid-June and things somehow are, you know, open and we're back to normal. Well, all of a sudden we don't have, if we're not having the draft until mid-June or late-June, those rookies aren't in for the mini camps. They aren't in for their portion of the off-season program that they're allowed to participate in. And then they're just behind the eight ball even more. And with the new CBA and they're cutting training camp practices in half, going from 84 hours of padded practice down to 40 hours of padded practice during training camp, all of a sudden you're going to have an entire rookie class that would have absolutely no idea what they're doing and, I mean, very, very minimal contributions as rookies. So, you know, my guess is much of the offseason programs for most of the NFL are going to be canceled, but if on the off chance they are not canceled, at least keeping the draft where it is gives those rookies a chance to come in and contribute as, you know, as they best can if they're able to go through that program and everything. So... This draft is going to be a fascinating one to look at when we get two or three years down the road to see just how much of an impact it had on teams being able to scout players because not having all of the pro days that they're used to having, just having to go back and and look at game tape and having limited contact with them over the phone and not being able to bring them into the facility like they have in the past. It's 
it's going to be interesting to see which teams end up coming out on top and which teams end up making poor decisions because of it. No, it will absolutely be interesting. And obviously, I mean, I mean, the thing I think that the NFL is going to absolutely love about it is that with nothing else going on, the draft is going to be the only game in town. Um, you know, normally there's at least some sort of baseball, some sort of basketball, hockey going on. But I mean, this year it is going to be the draft and nothing else. And, you know, the NFL is going to just eat that up as it heads into negotiating new TV contracts going forward because the every bit of leverage that they can get to squeeze every dollar that they can out of the networks, it, you know, they're going to do it. He's John P. Gilbert. Follow him on Twitter at John P. Gilbert NFL. John, what do you got coming up at fieldgoals.com? Oh, I'm going to go over a little bit of cap stuff, um, you know, on Friday and then start getting into some film reviews. Um, and then, you know, as things slow down into April, we'll start looking at some more, you know, just some random things from the past year as well as some analytics stuff. All right. Thanks for coming on. Looking forward to it. All right. You have a good one. And thanks for having me. A big thanks once again to John Gilbert for coming on. I know I can always count on him to really dig into those moves, especially taking a look at it from a salary cap perspective. And we're going to be watching that salary cap as the Seahawks look to make more moves throughout the offseason. Continue to stay tuned to the show throughout the offseason. And hey, consider leaving a review over at Apple Podcasts. I know we have uh, one listener here that knows how to leave a review. Although a one-star review, this came in just after Sunday's episode, says the latest was the single stupidest and ignorant podcast I've heard in a long time. No new information and lots of idiotic opinions about football and especially the need for taking the viral outbreak seriously. Ooh, interesting take. All right. So if you want to leave a review, be sure and hop on over to Apple Podcasts or, hey, wherever you listen to your podcast, leave us a review. Hopefully not a one-star review. And if you're looking for more analysis into the latest free agent moves, go to fieldgoals.com. Also, if you don't already know, I also co-host the Seahawkers podcast with my friend Adam Emmert, who I've known since kindergarten. We put out a show this week, over 100 minutes, at least half of it, focused directly on the Seahawks. We talk some NFL and some terrible moves the Rams and Chicago Bears have made, what to expect to see with Tom Brady next season, and our thoughts on free agency so far. So check that out, seahawkerspodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in. More to come. Until next time, go Hawks. Hawks.